of Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Woo! How would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group where all the beautiful, glorious weirdos hang out. Indeed. It is delightful and drama-free, and uh, we punish it's you with true. the weirdness that we <laughs> we come across. I mean, not just us. Right, right, it's right. It's an equal opportunity. It is. It is indeed. Yes. Um, when you find things and you're like, oh, I can't believe the only woman has to see this. Listen, that mouse in pasties needed to be seen. I am in love with the burlesque mouse in pasties and all 20 nipples it had going on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was so good, though. <laughs> Perfection. Oh, my goodness. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. <laughs> we are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, Somewhat sinister. Delightfully discomposed. Opaquely odd. Merrily morbid. Marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 3, Episode 4, Dipping a Skull into Private Clubs, Fraternal Orders, and Secret Societies. Ooh. <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors. And the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. And I go by <laughs> she and her. Hi, I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative. And my pronouns are she, her. Yeah, so how are you? <laughs> I, I am. I am. Uh, That's true. I can see you. You are. It, it's, it's been a crazy week and we're just halfway through it. Um... On the, I relate. On the upside, I'm going to create a sandwich. Boop, boop, boop. So on the upside. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant literally. No. <laughs> I was like, all right, I thought you were having tacos for dinner. <laughs> right. So on the upside, uh, my eldest heard back from their uh, first choice for university. <gasps> and the offer was $3,000 over and above a full ride holy shit that's amazing so totally amazing night um that's awesome it's been just a it's been just a lot of stress it's been a stressful very tense and intense week in general Uh (laughs) uh-huh um which yeah it's I, I've lost ways to try to communicate to my offspring that um, I am also sick of living through historical events of this nature, um, and I, I, I'm 
slugging through it the same way they are because yeah it's uh I will say that the uh little grandma Ukraine oh my goodness with the pocket full of sunflower seeds <laughs> is my new bestie like I I will find her Oh, I am so uncomfortable about that because I want so badly for her to be okay. Right, right. But also... She is bringing the energy. Like, I would not fuck with that lady. Nope. Uh, I I love her. I love love so many um, of the stories coming out of there. And I love the fact that Switzerland is picked aside for the first time. Oh my god! I know. Um, like there's so much greatness, but at the same time, it's like that scene. It's like that climactic scene in like Star Wars or Avengers, like that fight scene where all your favorite characters are going in, and you have nothing but hope, but you know that not everyone's gonna make it. Like it's just one of those things where it's like. I hate yeah. it. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I was not built for that. <laughs> like, I I don't do well with that. Like, so I'm, so no. yeah. So then I just yell at people on the internet for other things, you know, like two dudes that try to buy knitting.com for $80,000 because, hey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am going to go ahead and back away yep. from that conversation because I do not need to be that wound up. Yeah. At Internet Bros. So. Right now. To uh, to then put the other slice of bread on the sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, in what I'm going to call a small victory, but a good one. Like, we live in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. And the closest thing to us uh, is a pub. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, because it is, you know, rural Wisconsin, mm-hmm. we do Taco Wednesdays because we're very white. Um, but it's really funny to me that they do it on, like, today's like one of those ashy lenty don't eat fish days i think yeah. uh or don't eat meat eat the fish but anyway they they do taco night and you get these three giant friggin tacos for like six dollars like you could beat somebody with the container they come in with and so to celebrate the that's kind of impressive it really not is. generally how tacos work right but kind of impressive they're they're uh and and you get like jalapenos and black olives green olives like all this stuff with them and yeah, so we we got uh, we got tacos tonight to celebrate the uh, fact that well one we're still alive and two that Elvis got uh, a big ride. So yeah, that is that's so exciting. I I needed to hear a little bit of a a bright spot this yeah. week as I have definitely been in that in that mood where. Most of the big problems of the world are not directly impacting me at this exact moment. Mm -hmm. But I really, really, really hate that they are impacting other people. Right. And when I see examples of, like, all of the videos that have been coming out specifically out of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. but um, also just hospital wards Mm -hmm. like pandemic related things er nurses like all of that whenever there's an actual human face attached to something Mm -hmm. 
I want so badly to do something and there isn't anything I can do that doesn't feel gross and performative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's so hard to, to know what to do. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess I've been sort of balancing that by um, trusting people who uh, whose voices I already trust on the internet mm-hmm. when they share individual people seeking help. Yes. Um, because direct payments, direct cash, that works. Right. That helps people. In, that helps people who need it right now in a way that, like, supporting big charities is amazing once they've got boots on the ground and everything right. set up. But that doesn't help if you can't feed your family. Definitely. Oh, before they get there. One of my favorite crochet designers is out of Ukraine, and I went and bought a ton of patterns from her on Etsy because it's a digital file so Mm. she doesn't have to mail anything and she'll get the money you know so yeah yeah and I've done that too and I think unfortunately the scammers have started to to scam and buy ads and stuff that's gross um, it's just gross which is it's gross don't like don't be an asshole in that way Uh, it's like if it's actually someone who needs help, who has drawn like a crayon drawing and <laughs> put it up as a PDF to sell, yeah, right. Like, absolutely. If you heard that this is how you can, right, um, get financial assistance, like I get that. But a lot of these aren't that. No, they're not, and that just ugh. those are, those are the worst kind. Those are the apps. People that profit off a of tragedy are just some of the worst people ever. Special place in hell. Yeah, special place. No fun stuff at all. Um, no. Although I will say that in sort of a a glimmer of hope note, mm-hmm. I I have had the uh, some really beautiful handmade fabric moth brooches and hair clips in my Etsy cart for months at this point Mm -hmm. and because i was clicking through looking for digital files i noticed that the store had gone dark uh, earlier this week um or not earlier this week but immediately Mm -hmm. upon the beginning of the assault Mm -hmm. and today it was back oh good and so i ordered things and then i sent a note because i I don't want to add any pressure right right. to anyone who's trying to make money like i don't really care if like i would love to have those items because they're beautiful but that's not why i bought them right now um and so i sent a note and got a response from someone on the ground there and um she was just she said that they were having some what was it uh logistics 
difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, I laugh because. Oh, bless her. <laughs> so polite. Like, wow. Um, <laughs> but that, um, like, I basically wanted to tell her to mark it as shipped if she needed to. Mm-hmm. And that I would absolutely be like, I sure did get that, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that isn't – she wants to run her business. Yeah. Like, she wants to deliver the, the product. And so, um, like, just the the <laughs> statement that they were having those difficulties, and then um, she followed it by when things – are, I think when things are back to normal or mm. when things calm down, like it was something like that. Like, I don't know that I could respond in such a resilient way yeah. if all of the sudden all of that was happening around me. And I don't know. It just, I was, it felt hopeful. Yeah. To hear from a real person who I knew to actually be there. Yeah. And um, planning for the future. Yes. Yeah. Um, Having that hope. Yeah. And I mean, there isn't anything I can do from here. Right. But I can send notes to actual humans yeah and oh man <clears throat> Ooh, i'm gonna cry about it um do you want to hear another hopeful thing i do that i read right before we started recording mm-hmm. texas court has Uh-oh. banned no, no no they've banned the part of the the they stopped the um providing health care to trans children is abuse <gasps> so that's I a didn't very, see that. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a very good fucking because that's a whole nother shit storm going on right now that directly oh. affects people that I love. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's so hard. It's like, look at all of these things. Yeah. And it's like, which one do I focus on? No. <laughs> like, it also bad. directly affects people I love right. too. So and there's hope there. Like, that's just dangerous. Right. When you start reporting oh, people so for just existing, yeah. we know how that Turns oh, out. absolutely. Like, that, people die mm-hmm. when you do that. And even more so, people die when they don't get the absolutely life-saving care that they need. Right. They're already at the like, greatest Like, those risk. numbers are really, really concerning mm-hmm. even if you can right. get the care. And to make it even harder, like... This is, I'm going to get on a little bit of a political soapbox for a moment. Get it, girl. Um, I am personally a few steps left of center, mm-hmm. and which makes me more conservative than many of the people around me. Um, and there are many complicated reasons why that is, but none of them are social, and none of them... Uh, are against a very, very, very strong government safety net. I, I want the health care and the uh, medications and 
all of that, my tax dollars, that's where I want it to go, mm-hmm. not the military. Um, but I, I feel like there is such amazing hypocrisy in nice. people who have built their entire identities around, like, preventing women from getting abortions or preventing like and not having social safety nets so people who would like to have children who maybe can't afford it can give good lives right they're pro-birth they're not pro-life exactly and they're like and i mean we all know that there is seriously entrenched systemic racism involved Mm -hmm. in all of that and we we know what happens when women can't get health care and we also know what happens when kids can't get health care and like if if pro-life is the hill you're going to die on make it all life then do it right like i i don't I don't want to see you saying that and then allowing the uh, maternal mortality rate oh, to continue rising. It's I don't want to see that. We, and we are, see you taking away health care from seriously at-risk children. Right. Like, no. Our mortality rate is disgusting. And I'm... I read and I've seen recently, and it is sadly very accurate, that doctors are to black women what cops are to black men. That makes a lot of sense. I mean... And, I mean, women broadly mm -hmm. are not taken seriously, which is kind of hilarious because (laughs) women's pain thresholds are actually... Right. Known to be, generally speaking, significantly higher than their male counterparts. <laughs> Case in point that the science, they just released the report that, that women's cramps are equivalent to a heart attack. Yeah. And we're like, oh, that's smart today. <laughs> like, yeah, and I, I went to work today. Mm-hmm. And, like, that isn't a badge of honor. Yeah. No. That is fucked up. Yeah. And, like, ugh. Anyway, I I think that I should not go any further onto that soapbox because we'll be here all day, but protect trans kids. Seriously. And if you're listening to this and you don't have anybody in your in your life, um, mm-hmm. you do now. I will adopt you. I'll be your mom. Ask my my kids and their friends. Like I, I will be your mom. You have two siblings. One of them's kind of an asshole sometimes. You also have two cats. <laughs> One of those cats is also an asshole sometimes. So that's, but uh, yeah, I will, you are invited to Thanksgiving. You're invited to Christmas. I will shower you with love anytime you need it. You, you're missing family. I'm your family. And I'm dead serious on that. Yeah, she's really, really actually <laughs> serious. And I, I'm not going to be anybody's mom. Um <laughs> But I will be your eccentric aunt, yes. and I, I already have that job, and enjoy it immensely. You're getting one step closer to yep. your... So, anyway, um, do you want to move on to a 
you know what? I was going to say a somewhat less fraught topic, but it is not a less fraught topic. It isn't. Um, but sometimes it's a more fun topic. It's true. Do you know what the fun funnest topic is, though, that we should hit real quick? Oh, I do. I do know what it is. Uh, I, I would yeah. like to thank uh, all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon. Yes. Because we appreciate you so very much. And if you were a new member right now, this is where we would generally give you a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome. Um, if you join us today, you can get a shout out too. And you've got direct access to us on Patreon and the Facebook group, if you want to have more of these conversations or just want to have other conversations or if you want to show us a photo of your cat. Like, we're cool. Yep. All of that. <laughs> that is, yes. Uh, so, you know, to all of, of the people who already support us yes. and those of you who have made it through my soapbox moment, <laughs> you are the best. the best and we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you indeed and if you want in on this fun not only are you going to get some really great uh stickers i'm almost done with finally uh but you'll also get <laughs> a backlog i still don't have a sticker sure uh, i that's because it's in the box i have for you <laughs> Oh, I know, I just have to say it like every couple of months because it's funny at this point. Oh, I'm such a, I could yeah. make myself a sticker. I, <laughs> I have the files. <laughs> I will be giving you that and all of the goodies. Uh, yes, but also yes. you'll get a huge backlog of Patreon-only episodes, including mm -hmm. this week where we talk hauntings and crimes associated with clubs and frats. It's true. So... Yeah. yeah. Join us. Stick around. Say hi. Check it out. Dun, dun, dun. Find the skeletons in our collective closet. Yes. You know. All right. So today I am going to talk about private clubs. <laughs> and yes, mwahaha, <laughs> indeed. Um, and I started out thinking that I was going to talk about the history of private clubs and well <laughs> go ahead and google that if you're wondering why I did not dive right in um but I found a couple of especially strange ones that I feel like we need to talk about and one of them is as far as I can tell not problematic and really really hilarious <laughs> so um i'm gonna tell you about that one for the sort of main thing but uh first of all i just want to talk about private clubs in general i think a lot of people who have watched or read historic um literature or seen shows that are edwardian um know what a private club is like men in london going i'm going to my club and you know smoking and drinking and not coming home whatever uh so that 
that is a thing and it's still a thing and I am uh, actually a member of a private club and the private club is called The Wing and it is not without its very well-deserved controversies. So it once, like when I joined originally, billed itself as a private women-only social club. And in a sense, like especially through the pandemic, but after an especially big systemic problem was brought to light at my home club, um, it has since attempted to quietly rebrand as a co-working space that's visually geared towards women, but doesn't say ah. that it is. Um, is everything pink? Yeah, mm -hmm. millennial pink. Lots of yes. Um, So, at first, like, just addressing the elephant in the room controversies, um, there was um, originally an issue with the women only and it was relatively quickly expanded to include marginalized genders. Okay. Because the point was a safe space, not um, I don't know. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. I think it's always complicated when you are setting up a space that meets the needs of a particular community. Yeah. It's almost always in some ways at the expense of another. Um, and when it's at the expense of the predominant power, that's, you know, not really a problem. But if it's at the expense of people who are not, some, it certainly is. Right. So there are even though they are deeply fraught, um, a lot of reasons that people join private clubs. And I personally joined mine because it was a private social club and uh, it has a bar in it. And it was also a very, very good co-working space, very comfortable, had lots of events, lots of programming. And it was largely queer or woman identifying okay. and that brings sort of a different feel to a space Definitely. um and there was a uh, an amount of safety mm -hmm. that comes with having a locked door that the public cannot walk into we um, we had literal armed guards oh, at wow. the door because um, I think there was a stalker problem Oof. with one of the members. I don't know the details, but it was taken seriously enough that all of the clubs brought in actual security service. I was going to say that's comforting. Um, also, it's hard when you're an adult to make new friends sometimes. Super hard. You know? And that's, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm 
where I'm headed. So I liked the safety and security. Um, it's also the kind of place where you can leave your laptop on a table and disappear for two hours and nobody's going to mess with your stuff because it's a pre-vetted group. Mm -hmm. But because it's a pre-vetted group, it's also a self-selecting group. And so for me, as an autistic woman who is very, very introverted and has a very intrusive anxiety disorder, um, having a known place that was within walking distance of my apartment that had a rural structure in place that felt safe, that had a routine, mm -hmm. really worked well with my autism. And it made me feel safe and comfortable. And unfortunately, like with any private club eventually there's going to be so much fucking drama mm. and the issue with the wing and I, this is actively being worked on some people will say that it is not that it is performative some people will say that actual work is being done I honestly do not know I haven't gone since before the pandemic um, but I am still a paying member, which is why I'm talking about it. Um, so, like with other in-person exclusive members-only places, there's a very real and still very relevant problem with systemic racism and the exclusion of marginalized gender identities and also them being networking spaces that only provide opportunities to folks who probably already have access to those opportunities. Yeah. Um, and the last one I noticed particularly because I grew up blue collar and I, like I have said before, my dad was a cop and my mom was a factory worker. And joining it felt like buying acceptance into a really weird white collar world mm -hmm. it it felt like um uh, felt like a cheat code okay um that's a good <laughs> i i mean it it was positive but not accessible mm -hmm. to most and Private clubs, generally speaking, are very expensive. Mm -hmm. And they're expensive because they provide huge amounts of amenities. Um, the spaces were beautiful. There were showers and, like, dressing rooms and workout spaces and bars and also cafes and... Uh, well, wait staff, which is where it made me especially uncomfortable because I don't see why I can't bring my own plate downstairs. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Um, so there are lots of weird things that go on with private clubs. 
but sometime I mean but they can be delightful like when the wing was at its best it was very good mm-hmm. but it also failed pretty epically in the places that almost every private club failed yeah so and I'm sure different um, locations vary too because you, you're pulling from different not with the wing really Ugh. Uh, I mean you're talking about like my neighborhood in Brooklyn, there are like Bryant Park, Soho mm-hmm. in Manhattan, um, uh, Upper West Side, Williamsburg. Like these, it's a very specific demographic, and there's uh, there at least before the pandemic, there was one in Boston, San Francisco, North Hollywood, like London. Um, so they were pulling from a pretty specific demographic mm-hmm. of pretty like-minded people. Gotcha. So, you know, that there were problems. But I just wanted to talk about that quickly because I do belong to one and I don't want to hide that that is the case. Well, and you also have a unique perspective that many listening may not because you... Sure. Um, but I, I guess I just didn't want someone to click back and be like, or through my Instagram or whatever, and be <laughs> like, um, you seem to be sitting in an exclusive social club. <laughs> um, yeah. And that is millennial pink. Anyway, so there are, <laughs> on a much, much lighter note, um, there are, a bunch of really fucking weird, <laughs> very specific social clubs. And I'm going to go ahead and say right now that I have not looked into any of these far enough to know if they have deeply problematic ties. Gotcha. I assume that they have the same pitfalls that almost all of them do have. And the historic ones, I mean... yeah. <laughs> The racism and anti-Semitism run deep right. in a lot of those, and it's not okay. No. But here are some especially weird <laughs> ones that you're unlikely to be a member of anyway. So I dig especially weird things, though. <laughs> yeah. So there is a club, and this list is from Mental Floss, and it's what kicked me off on the rabbit hole that I'm going down. Um, So one of them is, uh, you know, ejection seats in airplanes? Yeah. (laughs) There's one, there's a club called the Martin Baker Ejection Tie Club. Um, T-I-E, and it is specifically for pilots who have activated their ejection seats, which I guess were made by the Martin Baker company, um, and live to tell the tale. (laughs) And they, yeah, and they get a tie, a tie pin, a patch, a certificate, and a membership card to be part of the club. I mean, that's a very specific life experience that you're not um, yep. 
gonna find necessarily somebody in common with easily uh no but as of last year there were six thousand registered members that's Uh far more than i would have guessed (laughs) fucking crazy right yeah yeah uh i'm gonna skip over the next one because we got nazis in there so uh the one after that is the shuttlecock club (laughs) which does not have anything to do with badminton really um no it's for anyone who has crashed at the shuttlecock corner on the Cresta Run sledding track in Switzerland. <laughs> it's apparently an infamous corner of the run that is um, designed to stop out-of-control riders from significantly hurting themselves. And so it it stops you. Yeah momentarily (laughs) (laughs) um and i guess uh if you can't make the corner um you will fly off the slide and land in a pile of snow and straw okay i mean there's worse places to land yeah yeah it's it's a thing um so if you do happen to fail in this particularly public way um, failures are inducted into a club where they also get a tie. Oh, that's okay. Um, and those ties are available for self-awarding, I would imagine, at the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. Um, let's see. There are some very weird, sketchy, genetics-based ones. Do not recommend. Um, Although some of them are just that you have a particular facial feature that stands out, and the members are largely white dudes. So (laughs) it seems uh, like Nick Cave and Iggy Pop are both in one called the sons of lee marvin and it's it seems sketchy to me i'm not gonna look any further into it um i don't know so at some point maybe we will cover the bohemian club in bohemian grove in uh, sonoma county in california it's something it sounds like it has the potential to be like a nudist colony i do believe it is largely (laughs) naked but um there are rumors that part of the manhattan project was planned there and um presidents are members and hidden one in the woods yeah. oh. oh i know that one yes okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of yeah uh, famous um there is however and i didn't know this um the belizean grove which is the female only answer to the bohemian okay Club. um Get it, ladies and 
Yeah, apparently Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor is a member. Ooh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, um, but their mission statement seems to be very similar to the Wing's public mission statement, which is helping women leaders rise. Okay. And so... Very yep. vague. <laughs> I couldn't find any more information on this one, and I desperately want to know more. So if anyone does know more, email me, please, immediately. There is a club called the Luxuriant Flowing Hair Club for Scientists. Ooh. Yeah. The website doesn't exist anymore. Oh. Wah, wah. Yeah. Um... There's something called Project Steve for if you are a weird scientist and your name is Steve. <laughs> yes. Um, there is the Order of the Occult Hand, which is what I'm going to talk about in Patreon, which is a very real media conspiracy theory. Ooh. And um, provable. I am the intrigued. Yeah. There's the British Lawnmower Racing Association. See, that sounds delightful. Yep. The Association of Dead People, which is people that have been erroneously declared dead. <laughs> I yes. don't really want to join um, that one, but I would like to sit in on a meeting. <laughs> yep. There is weirdly a Roundabout Appreciation Society in the UK. Um can't say that I have necessarily enjoyed my time on roundabouts Fair. enough to join a society, but they are efficient if you know how to use them. That second um, part is real important. <laughs> in Leicester, England, there is the Extreme Ironing Bureau. Like, clothes ironing. Like they iron their underwear kind of extreme, or? I... It seems that a person who started it thought ironing would be more enjoyable in his garden and brought it outside and then people also did so in the French Alps and at the base camp of Everest and, okay. <laughs> and during base jumping. Oh, okay. That <laughs> so seems dangerous. It is an extreme sport while ironing. That... That, yep. that could end poorly. Yeah. And I think maybe the most intriguing to me right now is the 20-Minute Society, which is um, something at England's Newcastle University where every few weeks the members receive a text with a location that they must arrive at within 20 minutes and... They, um, it's like ice skating outings and pub meetups. Oh, that's and fun. like just fun excursions and they never know what it's going to be and they never have more than 20 minutes warning. That sounds wonderful. Doesn't that sound fun? I mean, I hate spontaneity and I think it sounds delightful. 
because it seems like they're doing delightful things. Like, it's not a competition. It's just meeting up and doing weird, fun things. Right. So, Did you yeah. watch Gilmore Girls at all? No. Okay, there's a group in there called the Life and Death Brigade. And they hmm. do uh, very whimsical outings where they'll, like, dress up in suits and jump off buildings with a- with umbrellas and... Yeah, That's fun. so it just kind of reminded me of that. And that brings us to the thing I'm going to tell you more about, which is also a British invention. Okay. The Not Terribly Good Club. Oh. Which is specifically for people who are very very bad at doing things <laughs> where um, do i get my card <laughs> yeah well let's see to qualify for membership and this is actually another mental floss article that i think i found on this rabbit hole although i then went off on quite a tangent, um, to qualify for membership, you have to demonstrate your mediocrity or your special incompetence. <laughs> um, at meetings, you can only discuss your inability to do things, and there is absolutely no success allowed. And this club was started by a journalist named Stephen Pyle, and at the very first meeting, uh, Pyle catched a falling soup tureen before it hit the floor. And by his own bylaws, this required that he step down from his role as club president. <laughs> yeah. I kind of love that. Right? It's so good. Um, so a little bit more about Stephen Pyle. He was a journalist. Um, and this is his bio, which... I assume, like most people, he wrote. So, Stephen Pyle was a journalist for far too long and is the author of the book Heroic Failures. He is also the founder and president of the Not Terribly Good Club of Great Britain and was the artistic director of the first international Nether Wallop Arts Festival in 1984, which came about by accident. The next week, Stephen met his wife had three children, became a television critic for 14 years, and hasn't been out of the house since, which is why Britain looks so strange and changed. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I like it. it. Yeah. And the thing that really charmed me about this, aside from just how objectively funny mm-hmm. it is, is that um, as makers of things, we're often really bad at being bad at things. Yeah. We aren't great at being beginners. No, we should know how we're to do all the things immediately. Bad. <laughs> yeah, we're real bad at admitting that we can't mm-hmm. do a thing. Yes. Um, ask how many classes I have taught and not actually known the subject before <laughs> agreeing to teach them. Yes. So, I just thought that... I don't know. It it tickled me in a way because sometimes fucking up big time is kind of better than winning. Um, so 
I bought his books. Oh, okay. And they're so good. Ooh, I'm going to add them to my list. <laughs> he is a fantastic writer. Like, just very, very good. And very funny. And so the not terribly good book of heroic failures has many different chapters um, that include new world records, doing it at work, <laughs> making the most of your free time, the importance of individualism, the business of politics, war and peace, playing the game, the cultural, bleh, the cultural explosion, the glory of the stage, media studies, law and order, the British way of doing things, encouraging news from the United States of America, <laughs> <laughs> um, stories I failed to pin down, the art of being wrong. Um, there are a few that I missed going through there, but like you get the general yeah. idea. So I'm just going to read you a few of the ones that I thought were especially funny. Um, and I linked to the books on Goodreads in the show notes, so Perfect. you'll be able to purchase them if you too would like them, and they're available on Kindle. Nice. So, yeah. So, the first one listed is The Smallest Audience. This is in the New World Records category. And... Quote, in, 19, or in August 1980, Joan Malou, a Romanian folk singer, brought all existing records for the smallest, or broke, all existing records for the smallest ever audience, effortlessly pushing aside the previous contenders. He drew an audience of none whatsoever for a concert of what he described as his own style of country and western. Arriving on stage at the Capitol Theater, Melbourne, in dark glasses and casual clothing, he gazed down on the 2,200 empty seats and gave a two-hour show which overran by 30 minutes due to encores. <laughs> Mr. Uh-huh. Mr. Malou performed throughout as if people were there, coming back on stage after a 15-minute interval. The singer announced over the loudspeaker system, Ladies and gentlemen, Joan Malou. Towards the end of the performance, he asked, Hey everybody, do you want to hear my new one? And after the show, he said he was, quote, A little nervous beforehand, but felt very satisfied with the way it had gone. I love this life, the artist commented. According to a stagehand, Mr. Malou perched on a stool one meter from the edge of the stage and did not move for two hours except to strum his guitar and mumble into the microphone in an attractively monotone fashion. <laughs> Every song appeared the same, musically and vocally, he enthused. Explaining his art, the singer said that he does not pay too much attention to the music because, quote, life is in the song, not the notes. That is delightful. <clears throat> yeah. It, mm -hmm. All right. The worst homing pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> In 
This historic bird was released in Pembrokeshire in June 1953 and was expected to reach its base that evening. It was returned by post, dead, in a cardboard box 11 years later from Brazil. We had given it up for lost, its owner said. Uh-huh. I mean, but eventually it made it back, so... <clears throat> it's true. The most overdue library book. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't write one. <laughs> right? It has long been thought that the most overdue book in the history of library services was Dr. J. Curie's Febrile Diseases, which was taken out of the University of Cincinnati Medical Library in 1823 by Dr. M. Dodd and returned by his grandson 135 years later. In fact, this feat was shot to ribbons by a bishop of Winchester. In 1650, he borrowed the aptly named Book of Fines from Somerset <laughs> County Records Office, a register of property transactions in Taunton between 1641 and 1648. This volume so enthralled the bishop that it remained in his office for 200 years. It then passed to the church commissioners who hung on to it for another century or so. In 1985, it was returned to Somerset County Library, having accrued a fine of approximately 3,000 pounds. That seems like a bargain <clears throat> for that long. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yes. So, uh, that is the world of new world records. Let's uh, bounce over to encouraging news from the United States for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the worst American poet. Oof. And this is from my home state, so so I'm allowed. <laughs> Julia Moore, quote, the sweet singer of Michigan, 1847 to 1920, was so bad that Mark Twain said her first book gave him joy for 20 years. Her verse is mainly concerned with violent death. The Great Fire of Chicago and the Yellow Fever epidemic proved natural subjects for her pen. Whether the death was by drowning, by fits, or by runaway sleigh, the formula was the same. Here's an example. Have you heard of the dreadful fate of Mr. P.P. Bliss and wife? Of their death I will relate, and also others lost their life. In the Ash Ashbula Bridge disaster, where so many people died. I feel like I should snap. That's it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> Even if you started out reasonably healthy in one of Julia's poems, the chances are that after a few stanzas, you would be at the bottom of a river or struck by lightning. <laughs> A critic of the day said that she was, quote, worse than a Gatling gun, and in one slim volume counted 21 killed and 9 wounded. <laughs> wow. Incredibly, yeah, some papers were critical of her work, even suggesting that the sweet singer was, quote, semi-literate. Wow. Her reply was forthright. The editors that has spoken in this scandalous manner have went beyond reason. She added that 
Literary work is very difficult to do. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Baton twirling latest. Noted for the height, range, and drama of their twirls, members of the Ventura Baton Twirling Troupe surprised even themselves on one occasion in the late 1960s. During an Independence Day march past, one of their batons hit a power cable, blacked out the area, started a grass fire, and put the local radio station off air. They were on form, the mayor said. <laughs> <clears throat> the least successful award ceremony. The American Institute of Architects held their 1979 annual conference in Kansas City so as to be near the Kemper Arena, to which they had awarded their prize as, quote, one of the finest buildings in the nation. On the first day of the conference, hordes of architects toured this inspired structure with its wide-spanning roof trusses, which architectural record described as having an almost awesome muscularity. <laughs> On the second day, it fell down, <laughs> filling the entire zone with a dramatic heap of tangled metalwork. <laughs> Oops. The least successful acrobat. When the circus came to New York in 1978, the publicity posters carried the question, can aerialist Tito Gaona, spinning at 70 miles an hour, accomplish the most difficult acrobatic feat of the 20th century? The short answer to this was no. <laughs> Every night for nine months, Tito attempted the first ever quadruple somersault in midair from a flying trapeze 60 feet above the ground. Every night, for nine months, he got partway through, missed his catcher, and plunged into the safety net. At Madison Square Gardens, he sustained a full season of magnificent failure. Asked if he had ever done it, Tito replied, Yes, once, at the rehearsals, and only my family were watching. <laughs> now, I'm a little confused by this, as someone who used to dive competitively, mm -hmm. and used to regularly do two and a halfs or well sometimes pushing the limit triples um off of a regular spring diving board how all you need to do is tuck hard <laughs> maybe it's not the revolutions that were the issue but the timing for the catch i'm not sure but anyway, I, I am positive, also as someone who has been a gymnast, that it is much harder than I am picturing. Possibly, but yes. <laughs> hot damn. <clears throat> the worst celebrations. Human Kindness Day took place in Washington, D.C. on the 10th of May, 1975. At a press conference afterwards, police said there had been 600 arrests, 150 smashed windows, 42 looted refreshment stands, 17 stonings of uniformed officers, 33 fires, and 100 cases of public brawling. 
Furthermore, 14 cars have been demolished in Constitution Avenue. Miss Carol Kirkendall, a spokeswoman for the organizers, said that although the sporadic rock-throwing public mayhem and purse-snatchings had been a sadness, a lot of beautiful things were going on out there. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> yep. And let's take just one quick look at a very British way of doing things. Um, let's see. How about the least successful club? Which was this one, except for this book was spectacularly popular, and therefore it wasn't a failure, and also, therefore, the club had to disband <laughs> because it was also successful. Um, that isn't the story. That's just true. That's funny. <laughs> um, the back of the book used to have a slip for um, applying to join the club. Aww. And they got a lot oh, I bet. of applications. Yep. Um, so, the Langworth Pig Club was set up to give owners insurance for their pigs, tips on pig health, and useful talks on all matters relating to the advancements, the advancement of pig in general. This fine club reached its peak in January of 1988, when all of the members admitted that none of them owned a pig. <laughs> Most had not done so for 15 years, and some had not even seen one during this period. This heartening state of affairs was ruined by Mr. George Abbott, a local Methodist minister with interest in pig ear piercing, who closed the club down on the grounds that no one had attended the AGM at his house in Barlins Road for the second year running. Wow. Mm-hmm. Talk about rage quit. <sighs> yes. All right. I think this has almost certainly been surpassed, but keep in mind that this book was written many, many years ago. Um, in my youth, or possibly before, I believe the... Uh, not terribly good club of great britain formed in 1976 and i believe that this book initially came out in the late 80s but the current version i'm reading is a 2011 version gotcha. so um the least successful men's rights group <laughs> Which is why I think this has almost certainly been blown out of the water. <clears throat> Inspired by the success of the American Coalition of Free Men, it has 800 affiliated groups and regular meetings to campaign for men's rights. Mr. Arthur Murray decided in 1983 to set up a UK branch. Since then, it has attracted no members whatsoever. The regular newsletter consists of Arthur pleading with his six best friends to join. <laughs> when a reporter from the Times went to investigate the group, he found that Arthur was under constant attack from his wife, a veteran feminist, 
who is bigger than he is, owns the house, supports Arthur financially, and makes him do all the housework. <laughs> nice. Yeah. A plus, lady. All right. And this is going to be the last okay. one for me. Uh, the worst household ornament. For 30 years, Mrs. Doreen Burley polished her favorite ornament every day. She allowed her five grandchildren to play with it and usually gave the brass orb pride of place on the mantelpiece at her home in Rottenstall, Lancashire. Let's see how poorly I pronounced all of those. Um, only in March of 1988 did she discover it was a live bomb. Oh, when she shit. described, uh huh, it it happens in places that were shelled in the blitz, mm. uh, or at least I assume that's probably where it came from. Um, when she described her pride and joy to the manager of an antique shop, he advised her to call the police. The army arrived the next day. <laughs> <clears throat> and carried it off as though it was priceless china. I couldn't believe I had been polishing a bomb all this time. I must have picked it up in a box of brasses in Bradford. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this whole book is really funny. And he is a very good writer and I recommend absolutely going down that rabbit hole um it made me laugh and I absolutely needed to laugh I love that. so yep yay I will definitely check out the books because <laughs> laughter is good yes so today um I am going to talk about something that kind of goes hand in hand with secret and private societies. Um, mm -hmm. I am going to give a trigger warning for a very brief mention of rape in the beginning here. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it's movie depictions or real life encounters, the mere term frat <coughs> typically conjures images of keggers and douchebags for many. Um, for some animal right? house for some it can be um, it can actually be triggering according to the Berkeley Beacon oh, yeah. several studies have found that students in fraternities are three times more likely to commit rape than male counterparts not part of the Greek system fuck me that's it is and lot. that's just wait that is not the phrasing that I should have used <laughs> and that's just rape that's not just sexual assault either I mean that's just specifically that's rape uh, a sociolo That's disgusting. Is. A sociological and statistical analysis of fraternity men's attitudes on rape and sexual assault by Sierra Ensign at Cal Poly Tech revealed that statistically most gang rapes reported on campus are tied specifically to fraternities. Not to mention all the lack of proper prosecution of assault cases involving frats. I myself... Or in right, general? Uh... I myself had to actually reprocess some of my own experiences while tackling this. So mm -hmm. 
most importantly, um, if you've experienced that side of fraternities, I am truly sorry. I see you. You are valid. Yep. I wanted to bring those things up because while I'm going back, I just think that just, I can't mention fraternities without holding them accountable. And fuck no. those modern frats. And there are many that exist for true brotherhood and service and are much closer to what the originals were. But there are also a lot that are incredibly problematic. So, like I said... And the originals probably right. also had their share. Absolutely. Because groups of people yes. tend to do worse things than individuals. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, today I'm going way back and talking about the birth of the system and what they were formed for. Will they still be just as problematic? Buckle in and find out. But if you can't and you want to skip this, I totally understand that as well. So, yep. when I say back... Like, it surprised me how far back I would be going. Like, 1700s back. And it yeah. does a little bit of dancing with secret societies and all. It's a lot to sort out and follow without uh, going down rabbit holes. I mean, there's holes everywhere. Uh, researching. They're all so interconnected. They are. And researching this also became a little bit interesting as the beginning year is cited in several different sources at different years at 1775 1776 and 1777 depending on that source um and and that's like collegiate fraternal yes, orders and the united states um and the amount of sources that come from places other than just like a secondary school site or sites specifically devoted to greek life or specific frats themselves is actually not as vast as I would hope. Um, I mean, I will say that if anyone's kind of good at keeping history, those organizations do that right. since they are generational. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to go with 1776 as my main research tool for this is uh, sure. <clears throat> American College Fraternities, a descriptive analysis of the society system and the colleges of the United States with a detailed account of each fraternity by <laughs> W.M. Raymond Baird, published in 1879. And don't worry, I linked to it. <laughs> I feel like we should guess what year <laughs> based on how long there the title is. is. There's, there is one source that I can't remember if it's for this episode or for Patreon, it's for Patreon. Mm -hmm. Longest title I've ever read. Uh, uh, but I am guessing that as it was published in 1879, and that is how, just given how far back it is, it's most accurate. Also, um, like it's an, it's 11 years before cohabitating as a frat would even begin. Uh, now, again, before I talk about 1776, I need to take us back just a bit further to 1750. This is the year that, or that is the year, rather, that the first literary societies were formed, one at Yale and one at the birth site of our story, the College of William and Mary. Uh, there seems to be a lot of interchanging of the terms literary society, Latin society, and collegiate secret society, so I'm kind of winging it a bit, um, and also... I wasn't sure specifically what you were going to cover. I didn't want to overlap on anything. Neither was so I. I wanted to be respectful of that. So, but whatever you call them, 
And these groups basically, you know, consisted of a group of guys that needed a place outside of school to discuss things that the school either looked down upon or just plain wouldn't allow. Uh, the literary... Yeah, and we will cover more of these right. in depth later because, oh right. my god. Uh, the literary exercises of these societies usually consisted of a, like a debate. Meetings were open to the public. In addition to a debate, members could be assigned original poems, essays, hmm. fiction, uh, to both com- either compose or deliver. Uh, each society had a distinct had distinctive meetings and were more or less uh, political, social, or religious uh, in origin and discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. These or- organizations figure predominantly into the development of fraternities and sororities because many early fraternities were considered simply private versions of the open Latin societies. And the mm-hmm. format of the meetings were all kind of derived from the Latin society's exercises. But again, not all of those are public. So I think it's important. I think it's like perhaps where the distinction is, is private versus public. Latin The Latin societies thrived until about the American Civil War. Uh, now, there is one specific literary society uh, where our tale truly begins, and that is the Flat Hat Club at the College <laughs> of William and Mary. So right. the FHC, as it was called, um, is the first recorded collegiate secret society in the United States of America. Early in the 20th century, the education section of the New York Times profiled America's oldest university clubs and societies and included a letter now in the archives held at Swem Library, which Thomas Jefferson wrote to Thomas Macaulay, mentioning Jefferson's own membership of the FHC. So (laughs) the initials of the FHC Society stand for a secret Latin phrase. That I will now butcher, but not intentionally. Um, <clears throat> likely fraternitas humanitas et cognitio. Ooh. Well, well, well. Aren't you <laughs> Which fancy? is... Uh, I know what all those words Brotherhood, mean. humanity, and knowledge. Because mm-hmm. I went to college. <laughs> that's why I know. The brothers of the original FHC devised and employed a secret handshake, wore a silver membership medal, issued certificates of membership, and met regularly for discussion and fellowship, especially at the Raleigh Tavern. The group became Hmm. publicly known by the backronym Flat Hat Club, improbable... Backronym? (laughs) I... I've never heard that word yeah. before. Uh, yeah. And probable allusion to the mortarboard caps, like the ones that we all wear, like uh, in graduating uh, in American universities and high schools and such, uh, they would wear them yeah. every day. Uh, so before yeah. I get down that rabbit hole, the FHC and the Raleigh Tavern, I'm going to just go straight to connecting the dots to the fraternities. Uh, so it is said that on December 5th, 1776, John Heath, who was then a student studying Greek at the College of William and Mary, found himself rejected by the FHC and not one to go quietly into that good night. Heath was like, (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait. Keith <laughs> was like, fuck you, I'm taking matters in my own hands. And him and along with some friends created the first collegiate Greek letter society, Phi Beta Kappa. As a Greek scholar and allegedly the best Greek student at the college, Heath himself began a tradition of naming college organizations after the initials of their secret Greek motto. So, but in the case of like Phi Beta Kappa, their motto, Philosophia Bios Kybernethes, which uh, translates into philosophy is the guide to life, uses the Greek letters Phi, Beta, and Kappa, meaning the first letter of each of the words, as their society's public name. These mm-hmm. days, Phi Beta Kappa is an academic honor, academic honor society, and it emits both men and women. Uh, with nearly 9 million... I think that's what I'm a member of, Phi Beta actually. Kappa? Amazing. Mm-hmm. I think so. With nearly 9 million current members of Greek organizations... It is a bit amazing to think that it began with one snubbed man back in te- 1776 who just happened to be really good at Greek. Uh, so I feel unsurprised. John and his friends were a wee bit shady as well. <laughs> yes, they? they claimed the Latin named literary societies, quote, had lost all reputation for letters and were noted only for the dissipation and convivality of their members the uh, new society was intended to be quote purely of domestic manufacture without any connections whatsoever with anything european either english or german the founders declared that the society was formed for congeniality and to provoke good fellowship with quote friendship at its basis and benevolence and literature at its pillars. Well. At first, the only secrets were the mysterious letters S and P used on the badge that they wore. One official historian of the society, William T. Hastings, believes that the S and P on the badge meant Societis Philosophe, and uh, meaning philosophical society, and that that it was the original name of the society. And that the name Phi Beta Kappa only came to be taken as a society name over the time. So the heading on the original list of members states a list of the members who have been initiated into the SP alias Phi Beta Kappa Society. Later in May of 1777, two new signs of recognition were designed a solution of the clasp of the hands together with an immediate stroke across the mouth with the back of the same hand and a return with the hand used by the saluted. (laughs) That's a lot of choreography. The the new gestures were for the purpose of distinguishing Phi Beta Kappa members, quote, in any foreign county, country, or place. It is believed that the secret handshake of sorts was adopted from the Freemasons, and there is some overlap of the society's and the Freemasons before British hmm. forces advance, because uh, again, we're talking 1776, 1777, uh, and all hell broke loose, including the need for the fraternity to disband. Um, there, they had initiated a Yale student who then brought Phi Beta Kappa to both Yale and Harvard 
allowing it to continue. Oh. As it developed, uh, it became incredibly influential association of faculty and select students across several colleges. Chapters became larger. They focused on rhetoric and class elections while abandoning the close social bond that had defined the first chapter. Membership was becoming more of an honor and less a part of a functioning society. However, yep. Phi Beta Kappa was very different from a typical college fraternity of today and that membership was generally restricted just to upperclassmen, if not just seniors, and faculty, mm. um, which were actually made members earlier in their career, and that plagued an active role. Uh, the annual Phi Beta Kappa exercises at Yale were public literary exercises with as many or more faculty members of the society than actual undergrads. No hmm. other Greek letter society was formed then until the inception of Chi Delta Theta, a senior class society at Yale in 1821. This group, like Phi Beta Kappa, had now become, um, was largely focused on literary debates and elections. Similar groups without Greek letter names, but still, still clearly inspired by the Greek language, began to form as well. Uh, there was one called Hermesian, Adelphi, and Philalethian. Uh, John Heath may have given us the origin, in, like the origin of the Greek letter organization, but the model of modern societal fraternities uh, actually traces back to Schenectady, New York, at U Ooh, Schenectady. Schenectady. Uh, at Union College, where Kappa Alpha Society was founded in 1825 by John Harder Hunter. Uh, Kappa Alpha's founders adopted much of, like, Phi Beta Kappa's practices. Um, and Phi Beta Kappa had already been established at Union College in 1817. So this is now, like, the second frat. Uh, but formed their organization around fellowship, making the development of friendship and brotherhood back to being the primary purpose. Um, so mm -hmm. in March of 1827, on Union's campus, two more fraternities were founded, Sigma Phi and Delta Phi. This then formed a triad, and the triad referred to themselves as fraternities, derived from the Latin word frater, meaning brother. Right. As these fraternities then spread to other campuses, uh, and as new organizations were founded at other colleges, national chapters were then created, and... Greek life as we know it is, you know, began then. So it seems simple, but there continues to be like a lot of weaving tales and involve other societies and some notable chapters that I just want to touch on before I wrap this up. In fact, right after uh, Kappa Alpha was formed, uh, there is a huge hit to se secret societies in general. In 1826, a man named William Morgan, who claimed to be a high-ranking member of the Freemasons, allegedly said that he intended to publish their secrets. After that little mm. declaration, Morgan completely disappeared. It was uh -oh. assumed he was either abducted or murdered. Either way, there is a huge wave of public outcry against secret societies in general and fraternity members faced expulsion and general suspicion which only increased the secrecy of it like the earlier organizations because you know secrets and use you tell them no they're like yeah we'll do it even more um so there was this whole 
this whole era then of, uh, of universities looking down on the secret societies. Uh, it would also not be the end of the influence of Freemasonry on fraternities and absolutely not the end of secret societies. Uh, while any secret men's only society is sure to have incredibly problematic behavior, the origins of the Greek system really is so far away from what we see it as now. And one example that makes me really happy is that uh, the Greek letter women's fraternity Chi Theta Delta. So in 1856, like... Chi. Is it? Theta okay. Delta. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Big tennis okay. school. Lots of sororities. Uh, <laughs> in 1856, a group of female students at Troy Female Seminary were so impressed and intrigued by the fellowship that they'd seen displayed by Phi Data or Theta Delta, so it'd be Chi then? C-H-I is Chi? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they tried to become members. But given the rules, this was a definite hard pass from Delta Chi, but Theta Delta Chi helped the ladies start their own group, mm. which I find pretty impressive sadly it was only um it would only last a few years because that's kind of cool though unexpected exactly um but it only lasted uh, a couple of years because troy female seminary uh ceased to be a boarding school uh but good on theta delta chi because again impressive and another i have a correction for me uh I, it's the National Society of Collegiate Scholars oh. that I'm a member of. It does not have a Greek um, Gotcha. Anyway, sorry. Thank Carry you. <laughs> um, another thing that I think is important to point out is that it wasn't only white men. Uh, oh, yeah. really? The establishment and evolution of fraternities and sororities for black students somewhat mirror the development of social fraternities and sororities in general. Uh, literary societies with Greek letters came first. The Alpha Phi Literary Society was founded at Howard University in 1872. Sigma Pi Phi, a non-collegiate fraternity for professionals, was founded in 1904. Next, there were some kind of unsuccessful attempts to create collegiate fraternities, such as Gamma Phi Fraternity at Wilberforce University, um, which first original or first official campus recognition in 1923, a 1923 yearbook or uh, entry reported operation as early as 1905. Uh, Alpha, Alpha Kappa Nu at Indiana University formation attempted in 1903, uh, but sadly f- involved too few registrants to assure continuing organization. And Pi Gamma Omicron at Ohio State University formation reported in the Chicago Defender in 1905. The organization did sadly fail to receive school recognition, though. In 1906, Alpha Phi Alpha was formally established as a fraternity at Cornell University by C.C. Poindexter. Though, <laughs> I love that name. Though it operated as a social it's study so hub in 1905. These, uh, the eight organizations which made up the National Pan-Hellenic Council until 1996 would be formed over the next decade and a half. Black fraternities and sororities were based on existing fraternities and sororities, but cultural additions were made 
including um, calls, open hand signs, and step, which is amazing to watch if you've ever experienced. Uh, it's really so cool. So social in nature, many black fraternal organizations were formed with an emphasis on public service and civil rights. And again, I think it's amazing given the time period. And um, I have to put in the notes yeah. and in the folder, I found some early photos, not only of the black fraternities, but of fraternities that can that uh, had both black and white male members. For, at that time? At that time. Uh, wow. For those... That's great. Right? For those uh, curious when frat houses became a thing, uh, that was in the 1890s when rich alumni donated money in buildings to house those in the frat while going to school. But that... Yeah, that's like private club intersection. Right, and it also added a new structure then within the frat system because mm -hmm. what used to be a special occasion when the fraternity all gathered together all kind of just became a regular event because they lived together well this meant more inter oh, well yeah. this meant more interaction it also meant a large part of the attention of the fraternity had to be focused on the house itself read men had to take care of <laughs> domesticity uh, so alumni had to form boards then to be incorporated and handle mortgage payments legal matters repairs <laughs> or improvements on the house uh, active members at the chapter had to handle the day-to-day -day business, which no longer included only intellectual daydreaming, free expression, or academic exploration. It meant cleaning and maintaining and paying for the property. I can confirm that that is not the case anymore. Right. Uh, so this is what also led to uh, what is now called Rush, or I think they tried to uh. change it to recruiting. Um <laughs> Either way, Whatever, right. Original still. members were once given formal invitations and initiated one by one, often on several occasions. But now that many had their own houses that needed to be kept full, they had to fiercely compete with the interests of incoming freshmen. So rush comes the, from this period when the fraternities literally needed to rush to get the freshmen before another organization got to them first. Uh, no, it's the opposite. There is a whole section of religious history pertaining to the fraternities as well, leading hmm. to the creation of Jewish fraternities that are still a part of the Greek system today. So I find it interesting that we have this giant Greek system that has managed, and again, fucking problematic. I I do not write Many problems. Lots all of over the place. Yes. Uh, but I do find it hopeful happy i enjoy the fact that this giant greek system has a place for jewish fraternities black fraternities and or like it, it it's inclusive in some aspect um and starting at a very early time period um yeah i i wonder if it's because relatively a relatively small percentage of the overall population was going to college. Yeah. So if you were in college, you were probably significantly more likely to have things in common. Right. Common background. Right. Absolutely. I don't know. 
I'm well, just there was guessing. a certain privilege that was there, regardless of yeah. of uh, what form it came in. Uh, now there's now there's not a whole lot that's still secret about fraternities and sororities uh, and their current operations. I think it's important to look at uh, what they once were. So in 1831, Theta Kappa or Theta Phi Beta Kappa was mm-hmm. let's just say highly encouraged to disclose their secrets and bylaws. Uh, and today, some fraternities they. Uh, their traditions and you know and constitutions are secret. Some publish them for everyone to see, um, but yep. they're all pretty much the same. So, what when fraternities were found, initiation rites and ceremonies were often borrowed or modified, or I suppose appropriated, probably to some extent, from any combination of the following items in history: philosophy and literature from ancient Greeks and Romans. Jewish and Christian scriptures, chivalric traditions, military codes of mm-hmm. honor, precepts and forms of Freemasonry, enlightenment science, and philosophy and romanticism. The Yeah, it sounds about these right. These items are no longer held to the importance in the curriculum that they previously had. Um, as time went on, teachings of the classic have become less and less common. As a result, the meetings of the many rituals the fraternities was originally based on began to fade and become unknown to the members. And due to lack of knowledge that some fraternities began to depend on, like, theatrical aspects of the ceremonies as opposed to, like, the deeper, more profound meaning that had been essentially uh, lost. Mm -hmm. And uh, some say that's when the period, uh, when hazing took its roots. Uh, but that's mm. a whole nother fucking rabbit hole. Uh, I just wanted to point yes. out that there was a rich diversity of thought that originally went into the Greek systems traditions. Um, and that's pretty much my quick and delicate dance through fraternities. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that at some point we should go down more specific rabbit holes because yes. there are there are some really interesting histories and having gone to um, University of Michigan which is a Big Ten school for people who care about that I don't know is it Big Ten anymore are there know. many that, I don't know big something um, with like Madison like this one of the state schools that are considered up there oh no i'm that's uh big 10 is a sports sports thing category sports ball um um i it probably isn't big 10 anymore um i don't know having never done sports ball but um i went to college surrounded by like grand old um, fraternity and sorority mm-hmm. houses and I lived across the street from two of them <laughs> and um, like two of the especially exclusive sororities mm-hmm. and I wow like because you could because they were all right there and because they were these like mansions Mm -hmm. you could see 
a lot of like the traditions play out especially during um rush mm-hmm. and it was oh i can't remember what the week after like when you finally when they picked you and oh. they, they came to kidnap you in the middle of the night and shit um because that happened that they would put things on your doors yeah. um in the dorm and uh, i guess it was just rush week um but it it was fascinating as someone who is very much an outsider but someone who likes structure and order um to watch all of like the to them next logical mm-hmm. steps happen in the process and i say that without judgment i personally didn't see anything that was um particularly troubling during that process um but like wow it was a lot and the greek system was so involved in every part of college life i sincerely do not know how they all of those students balanced um schoolwork with the service work that they were very visually doing yeah um and then also the parties they were throwing yes <laughs> fascinating it is it- anyway there's a lot of there's a lot of history and a lot of it isn't great but a lot of it also is kind of cool right like there's there are like, some i like the idea there are some fraternities and sororities that are fucking amazing and do some amazing work that uh support each other that uh look at l woods that's my favorite literary sorority girl <laughs> Wait, what sorority was she? Delta in? New. Was she in Kappa Kappa Gamma? No, Delta New. Oh. Um, there's. I uh. There's. Yes. Like I can't. <laughs> like I can't say the whole system is bullshit, but I can say that there is a perpetuating and uplifting of privileged cis het white males. Um. Well, and, and women. Yeah, like, and females. There were an awful lot of women who looked exactly the right. same. Right, and yeah. So there is... Concerningly so. Yeah. Very cookie-cutter Barbie. Um, but not all. Which is fine. Right. If you are, like... If you look like that, like, whatever. But there are problems when only people who look like that exactly. are Exactly. Or you're forced to be unhealthy to look like that yeah oh my goodness i'm now i'm just remembering the sorority girl uniform from when i was in college do you know what it was when you were um uggs had just happened uh, ours were a lot of like the sweatshirt with the name on it and leggings and tennis. Yeah, it was 
like black leggings mm-hmm. and a uh, hoodie yep. with your sorority and yep. Uggs. That was, and uh, messy, messy bun, bun hair, hair because that was what was happening then. But yeah, like it's a whole different world. Yeah, I would. I was just looking at a list of like the most prestigious sororities and i have now come to realize how it was that i did witness all of that weirdness (laughs) because oh they were right there (laughs) yeah i it's funny because i don't i don't recall knowing anyone in a sorority at uw milwaukee when i was there um, I did know fraternities. There was one fraternity that was cool and not super problematic. Um, at San Francisco State U, like, no. <laughs> I didn't know anybody in the Greek system there. <laughs> yeah, I knew lots of people in the Greek system. I had a, well, my roommate wasn't, but she was very good friends with a lot of people yeah. who were. My sweet mate, um, one of my sweet mates was a cheerleader. We used to go, cool. I used to go watch her cheer with all my, That's with, all my with all my art school friends. <laughs> it was great. Oh, wait. I just remembered that one of my best friends was a cheerleader. Oh, how did I think <laughs> that? I never went to see him do his thing because too much, yeah, too, much too much stimulation. Um, but wow, he was mm-hmm. peppy. I am, oh, we adored mm-hmm. each other, but I do not know how that happened. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, one of my best friends through the entirety of college still know what he's up to today. Ha- what? <laughs> <laughs> I like yes, that, though. indeed. Me too. So. That's weird and random and kind of fun. That. I believe brings us to the weekly, weekly worst way to die. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, before yes. we do that, if listeners, if you have a weird, cool sorority or fraternity story, yes. we want to hear it. Um, tell us about it. Tell us about the weird shit that's. Still in this sorority or fraternity. Yeah, I, we're not judging. Um, from it's... way back in the day. I want to hear about the photos. Yes. I want to hear about the formals. Yes. Because I have been to one, and I believe our Patreon listeners have heard the story of my <laughs> my and my date's broken limbs. Um, uh, we had a fraternity that every Halloween would stay out on the roof. Um... Huh. For days at a time, raising money for hunger, I believe it was. And people would drive us and hunt. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, there was definitely stuff going. Uh, there was a lot of frisbee playing. <laughs> Heavy um, <sack>. Or uh, <laughs> seesawing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes dancing. Uh, on the diag. But anyway. So we want to hear your stories. Tell us all Absolutely. your stories. Um, 
And even if you don't want them shared, tell us the secrets and we will keep them. Yes. Okay. Anyway, weekly worst way to die. How do you not want to die? Hazing incident gone wrong. Though the ads of me, like, rushing your <sighs> yeah. slim to none, because I'm much more coven than sorority. But yeah, definitely hazing incident gone wrong. Which, sadly, uh, I want to say that at there are at least, have been at least two deaths every year for the last 20 years due to hazing. And I, I think that's conservative in estimate. I could be wrong on it, but... Um, I think it probably is, given um, uh, alcohol poisoning and overdoses indeed, also. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, he, he, hazing gone wrong. Yeah, and that's the dark side of mm -hmm. things. That's There's weird shit that you do, and then there's toxic weird right, shit. Right, but I would... That is toxic weird that's... shit. We want to hear about... The interesting Right. When shit. I say hazing instant gone wrong, I'd be like, I have a yeah. low alcohol tolerance and I will trip and fall off of something. Like that kind of, like not, I'm being actively hazed and it's me just, you know, doing something I mean, stupid. that is more or less <laughs> what happened to me in a fraternity, except I had a very high alcohol tolerance, just not high enough <laughs> as it turned out. What about uh, you? Anyway... Uh, mine. Oh, I did not put it on this you one. Did. Dear me, I did write it down. I see it. I do. Because I sure. Oh as hell my goodness. Ah, where am? Oh, there <laughs> it is. I just didn't put a space between ours, so it visually did not compute. Um. I think I would especially not like to just spectacularly fail at something objectively easy. Because as a person who cannot cook in a crock pot <laughs> because it's too easy and I I just I can't not fuss with things, um I would absolutely just truly fuck up something very straightforward and have a very embarrassing obituary. <laughs> yeah. I I can see me me doing that as well. <sighs> yeah, yeah. That that is. <laughs> so hey, yeah. do you want to be mm -hmm. spooky internet friends? <laughs> no. Please. <laughs> okay. You can find us at Bones and Bobbins on all of the social medias. Or you can yes. just go to bonesandbobbins.com. Yes. And you can find all of the things. All of all the right. things there. Yes. And also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It pleases the internet gremlins. And that's how we show up in recommendations. So that other morbid souls can find Bring us. Bring forth the morbid souls. All of them, yes. please. I have a collection. She does. <laughs> did I tell you I got a new head? <gasps> no! <gasps> I did. That's amazing. I'm just going to leave awesome. it there. This one's blue. Ooh. Love mm -hmm. it. Oh, and on yep. that note, 
Let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. No. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. (laughs) Because that's how you fail spectacularly and end up dying. That is how I... I, (laughs) As I glance over my shoulder and my wall. Uh-huh. Or I would be carrying them during a hazing event (laughs) trip. You know how I probably actually do die spectacularly Mm. stupidly? Scaring myself into having a heart attack because I have left a um, a muslin pinned up on my dress form <laughs> in the middle of my studio and have forgotten about it and going to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I'll trip over a cat, I'll see it, I will freak <laughs> out, scream, heart attack, that is how I die. And I will make sure that it is written that you went out saving all of your cats <laughs> I mean, honestly, if that's how I go, there was a burglar. You have my full permission to be like, Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Anyway, on that note. uh, Goodbye. See you later. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.